Father, just thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Just want to worship you. Just want to thank you. Every time we come to listen to your word, I pray that you would strengthen us, edify us this evening. Father, sanctify us and wash us by the water of your word and set us apart, even as we believe and obey what you have spoken into our hearts this evening. Pray, Lord, that you would touch us, anoint us, all, even as I speak, and all of us to hear and to obey. Father, speak to us, speak to us, O Lord. Speak to us, your servants are hearing. Thank you. We praise you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at foundations and we will look at uh, the second foundation that we've been looking at in the church and uh, both together. Uh, We'll start from Romans chapter 1 and we'll get a few verses from there. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This is verses 16 and 17. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. What it tells me is this, as we sang the last song, faith has to have growth. From faith to faith. And that is the reason why we come together as as, as a body of believers to to increase in our faith. Faith has to increase, yeah? Unbelief has to decrease. And therefore, we give ourselves opportunity every time to come to be able to hear His Word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God so that we can strengthen those areas in our lives uh, which needs to be strengthened, especially the two foundation stones, repentance and faith. And the whole object of faith is that we should please God, right? So it says in, uh, we know this verse very well, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Okay, Okay, let me tell you something. Um, There was a seminar for teachers that happened uh, sometime back in Hyderabad, if I'm right, where they invited a very well-known preacher, not a prosperity preacher, a very well-known Bible teacher. And he came to the place and a lot of very enthusiastic teachers of the word of God. Uh, they wanted to learn something new. And they all were gathered in the in the seminar. And uh, the man of God just got up to the pulpit. The first statement he made, he said, today I'm going to preach to you from John 3.16. And everybody had this reaction. They said, this guy, we flew him from all the way to the US. Okay, and he's going to teach us John 3.16. And immediately, he understood the thoughts like Jesus. Okay, And he said, uh, I know for many of us, it is a very familiar portion. But this is the way that I approach the Bible. Every time I approach the Bible, even though that is one of the verses that I have looked at over and over again, because God is infinite, and that his word is infinite, I expect and believe that God will speak something fresh from that verse, even though it is familiar. You see, that is how we come to church. Okay, We come to church with that kind of an expectancy. That is what we need, Lord. Manna for today. 40 years of manna, the Israelites got tired of it. This manna. Let it not become familiar to us. 
Okay. So, impossible to please him without faith. And what do we look? We look at scriptures. We study scriptures so that we can build ourselves in the faith. Why do we study scriptures? Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Know that again, very very familiar. You know all 316s? This is one of the 316s, very famous 316. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction and righteousness, so that a man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is the reason why we come and study scripture. And why scripture? Why scripture? Why does why do we need to come to scripture? Another portion, again very familiar to all of us. Romans 15 verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in scriptures. What is taught in scriptures? Abel was praying, Lord teach us perseverance and endurance. Okay, what is taught in scripture is endurance. Okay. It's not, everything is not on a platter. We, We don't have... Uh, what we call as a, a vending machine. We drop a coin and we get the milk. No. It's a process through which God takes us. He teaches us endurance. Okay. For everything that was written in this past was, ri- was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, what is what provides? The scriptures provide. We might have hope. You want to have hope? The only way to have hope is to learn from scriptures. One of the ways, of course, is to learn from scripture. That is very significant to, to build hope in our lives. Another significant, significant truth as to why we need to come uh, to the study of the scriptures is this. It's found in Romans chapter 9. It's Romans chapter 9 and verses 15 and 17. For he says to Moses, who is that he? God. God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. Where is he quoting? He's quoting from Exodus chapter 33. Okay. So he says to Moses, and then it says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, quoting from where again? Exodus chapter 9, for this very purpose I have raised you up, etc. Very important principle. Scripture says to Pharaoh, he says to Moses, When we read the scriptures, who speaks? God speaks. Do you believe that? See, all of us are here. I know many of us are tired. Okay. If you are tired, for a hard day's work, think about it. When you come to church, Lord, we study the scriptures. You know why? Because when scriptures are being expounded, you are speaking. All right. Matthew chapter 22 verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, you do err. Why are you in error? Because you don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. You see that? So what, what, what do I need? What do I mean by that? If you know the scriptures, you know the power of God. You understand what the power of God is. And that is the reason why another very familiar scripture, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the word of God has got power in to work in those who believe. You see that? You know it very well. So that's the way, that is the reason why we want want to come to scriptures and study scriptures. The question therefore is, when we do that, the question we need to ask is, how do scriptures make us believe? 
Okay? That is the question. What does God do through the scriptures in order to make us believe? What are those attributes of scripture itself that make us believe or rather have faith in God? Okay, for example, you know, John's gospel, it says in John 20, if I'm right, uh, John says that these things have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, and that by believing you may have life. Okay, so why are they written? So that, so that we might believe. So the whole idea is how does, how does God use the scriptures, okay, to make us believe? Okay, that is something which we need to understand, right? So that we will position ourselves and we will have that kind of a mindset when we go and read the scriptures. We need to know what are the parameters God uses in order to make us believe. So first thing he uses, I'm thinking about so many things, so these things came to my mind. What does God do in order for us to believe, make us believe through the scriptures? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we are all surrounded by so great a, what? Cloud of witnesses. So what does God do? He has so many people. Now, have you ever read the Bible except in the book of Job? There once lived a man in the land of Ur. We don't know the time. It is, you never see in scriptures, Anaganaga Okoroju. Long time ago, in a distant land, in a faraway place. Nothing of those, of those introductions are given. Okay. You read the scriptures, Especially, for example, if you read Nehemiah and all these Haggai, especially, especially if you read the book of Haggai, it says, at this time, at such and such a time, when this fellow was a king, when this, this, this thing happened, he gives the entire historical context and he says, the word of God came to me. So, what does God do in order for us to make us believe to the scriptures? He uses, read that, real people, not celebrities. Why I said that is because there was a there was a television series in 1978 between 1978 to 1984, if I'm right, go and look at Wikipedia, where they 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 uh, they telecasted a series called Real People, not Celebrities in brackets, where they talk about real life people and you know from them you can learn, and it's exactly what God God does. You know what God does? He uses real people. He shows all. All kinds of different, different kinds of people. And when you read some of the accounts that he gives so such naked truth, honest truth, when you look at that and you, when you see uh, Lot sleeping with his, with his wife, with his uh, children, you say, what kind of a book is this? They call this Holy Bible. How can you have such unholy things in the Bible? The reason why God does that is he never camouflages or tries to whitewash anybody's sin. He shows people just the way they are, raw deal. You know, there was one man, I think uh, Cromwell is his name. Okay, have you ever been to Salarjing Museum? Okay, the first first exhibit in the Salarjing Museum, you'll have all the portraits of Salarjing 1, Salarjing 2, Salarjing 3. Because those days they didn't have camera. So when they made the portrait, you'll see handsome features, beautiful looks. They're standing in such austere ways. And you'll say, boy, this is awesome. That's exactly what happened to Cromwell. Some guy said, I want to make your portrait. You know what Cromwell said on one condition? You will make my portrait showing my watts and all. Show my everything. Don't hide my pimples and my... Show me the way I am. Don't try to hide. 
So exactly what scriptures do, it makes use of real life people precisely showing, it's a historical book, shows exactly what kind of people and says, see, look at, see how God has worked in those lives. Will not God work in your lives? Think about Jacob. If God can work in Jacob's life, will he not work, up, work in my life? Think about it. No, the person who gives us maximum hope is Jacob. Is Jacob because all of you are, we are all Jacob. We can relate with Jacob. How many of you get, can relate with Apostle Paul? Who, who can dare say that? If you look at Apostle Paul, you'll say, Baba, why is Lord, what is this Lord? Yeah? Okay, no, nobody can relate to Apostle Paul in that sense, but Jacob, boy, everybody can relate. And you know what? He's called the God of, Ab- God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And he says, if you believe, you will sit with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob is for sure there. Okay, see, it's, it's the, what we call as a fortiori argument. I mean, I just put that so that I will not forget. What is a fortiori argument? It's like argument from the lesser to the greater. Okay, for example, if God can look at sparrows, will he not feed you? Okay, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not give you all things through him? Okay, why do you worry? If God can work in Jacob's life, will he not work in your life? Something like that. So he uses real people, real life situations to increase faith in us. And when you look at Jacob and you say, Lord, if you can work in Jacob's life, Lord, there is hope for me. That is how we have hope. You understand? Okay. Then, second thing. How do scriptures make us believe? This is exactly the, 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 uh, the, um, uh, this is what scriptures make us believe. This is Peter's experience in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive that God shows what? No partiality, but whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. In other words, the second thing we know when we study scriptures is that God shows no favoritism to anybody. No, there is no partiality with God. You got that? Second, the third thing, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is what? What is the other thing that God tells us? Okay, God did not just work in the time of Jacob. God did not just work in the time of David. God did not just work in the time of Jesus and and the disciples. The same God is able to work in our lives today. That is the reason why we study scriptures and that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8, Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, what does it say? For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Wow! Why are you not consumed? Because I don't change. O sons of? It doesn't say Israel. Interesting, isn't it? So you you are all sons of Jacob. Okay, very, very smart. You think you are smart, at least. Okay, so if 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 I am a God who does not change, and because you are not consumed, there is hope. Psalm 103, verse 10. You no, know, we all know this. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. He is the same God. What does it mean? The kindness of God and the goodness of God. That, that's, that is supposed to lead you to what? Repentance. You see that? So God never changes. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. There's no partiality with God. God uses real, I mean, works in people, real people, real situations, real problems, real pain, real heartache. And there was a real God who came on this real earth in history. And lived our life, sinless, spotless, died for us so that we can have 
reconciliation with him. Remember when Jacob has a dream. Remember Jacob's dream at Bethel? What happened? Heavens opened. Ladder to heaven. Angels of God ascending and descending. And who was standing on the other side of the ladder? God himself was standing on the other side of the ladder. When Jesus comes to Nathaniel, he says, you will see the heaven open. And angels of God descending and ascending where? On the son of man. Where is the son of man now? On earth. You have God over there and you have God here in, in on, on the earth. And there is one God who is going to make reconcilia- reconciliation with, with God the Father by becoming a man and give hope to everybody else. Not Ambika Darvarvari Agarbati. It is not Agarbati. It is Jesus Christ Himself. Can you listen to those advertisements? Are so stupid, no? Really unbelievable advertisements. You see, so God works in real people and He has become a real man in history and went through all our problems. That is the reason why we study scriptures. So that we may have hope. Now tell me, when do you have hope? When you see the best case scenario or the worst case scenario? Kya baat hai? Super. Okay. Worst case scenario. Worst case. In, 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 in Gultis will use that word. Worst. Okay. People who love their sin, who refuse to change. And if God comes and gives them a chance, will he not give us a chance? That is the logic of today's message. The logic of today's message is, we are a set of people who love our sin. A very interesting incident in the life of our first Prime Minister of India. What's his name? Kya baat hai? Your GK is very good. But you don't know this GK. I'm going I'm to reveal this to you. When, once Jawaharlal Nehru was going to a very important meeting. Okay, he was meeting some dignitary from, from abroad. So, he got into his car. Lalbati, and I was traveling to the office of that person, the dignitary who who uh, who uh, who came to India, and he was in this car, and you could smell a dead rat, stinking, all over the car, and he's he's, he's looking at his driver, and he says, "Driver, kya hai? Oh, what is that smell? Now, if if I go in this car, that odor will stick to my dress, and I can't go to this dignitary with that odor sticking on my in my body. Can you just just check the car, stop somewhere, and check it? So everybody in the car gets out, they turn the car upside down to search for the dead rat, and it's not there. Comes back into the car, and he's driving, and the stink continues. The dead rat stink. And he's like, what, is, what in the world is going on? He looks at his PA. Suddenly he looks at his shoes. And he says, PA, did you wash your socks? Your socks are stinking. Uh, yes, sir. I'm so sorry, sir. I didn't wash my socks since the last few days because I was in your office working day and night. PA, we'll stop at the next shoe shop and you're going to buy yourself a new pair of socks before we go to, this dign- to meet this dignitary. And they said, okay, fine. So they find the nearest shoe store. They get off to this, uh, this shoe store. This fellow goes and buys himself a fresh pair of socks, wears them, comes back into the car. And even as they're driving, the stink continues. And he says, P.A., did you change your socks? He said, yes, sir. What did you do with the old socks? Sir, they're in my pocket.
you know my dad used to tell me a, tell us a joke in 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 when in, in, when we were kids right every kampu vadiki impu every man enjoys his own smell and we are all like that we love our flesh which stinks you know what god says put off and put on we want to put on the old new man on the old man it is still stinking and we are wondering why it's still stinking Because there are some stock socks. Okay. Think about this, saints. Alright? The goodness of God. So we, are all, so we need to look at a guy who loves his sin. Even, and God visits him. And gives him chance after chance. And we look at that. We look at chance after chance. What God, what is God wanting to, wanting to rot in him? He is wanting to rot in him repentance and faith. What are the two building blocks? He wants to rot in him repentance and faith. How, what leads us to repentance? The, the kindness of God and the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And if the kindness of God can lead, can go to the worst case scenario, will he not come to us? That is the logic of today's message. So let us not, without further ado, let us, uh, any further ado, let us let us jump into the text today. The immutability of God, the God who never changes. That's what the, the last thing that came to my mind. So I'm going to look at one passage in scripture, 1 Kings chapter 20. It, so get, get, let me just give you a context here, the historical context. As I said, real people, real contexts, real prophets, they're not characters in a play, no. Now you see, you know that, right? Every time you watch a movie, uh, these characters are only fictional. Any resemblance is only purely coincidental. No, this is not like that for the, with the Bible. Okay, this is real people. Alright, real people. So let us look at one real man in First, First Kings chapter 20. But before we go there, I want to give you the context. Context is this, very simple. Elijah has gone to Mount Carmel, slaughtered all the prophets of Baal. And uh, he's, after that, rain has come. And now he runs ahead uh, of Ahab's tra- uh, chariot and he believed and he th- hopes that even Jezebel will be uh, will be overthrown but then Jezebel threatens him he runs for his life God meets him at Horeb and after he God meets him in Horeb that is chapter 19 of first kings and then God gives him a new commission to anoint Elisha Menhadad sorry Hazael sorry Hazael Benhadad oh, sorry Hazael Elisha and Jehu okay not in that order necessarily and then we have 1 Kings chapter 20. This is after a tremendous revival that has happened in the land. And you will see that the revival has not touched the king. It has not changed. You got that? Tremendous miracle has happened. Tremendous revival has happened. God himself came down with fire and brimstone on the, on the, mount, on the mountain, Mount Carmel. But people haven't changed. Will God s- stop uh, pursuing you? No. This is what happens. So we got the context here. So 1 Kings chapter 20. Let's read from verse 1 on. Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. 32 kings were with him, with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city to who? Ahab, the king of Israel. Very interesting. Ahab. So that is the worst case scenario I'm looking at. Ahab, the king of Israel. Worst case scenario. And said to him, thus says Ben-Hadad, your silver and your gold are mine, your loveliest wives and children are mine. Or did that include Jezebel? I don't know. But I wish it was, but we don't know. Okay. Because it didn't happen, alright? So then he sent messengers to Ahab. 
Now, let us look at what scriptures have to say about Ahab and how can we relate to this character. We need to understand, right? How is this relatability possible? So, if the worst case scenario, am I Ahab? Let us see. Um, okay, so let us see if I am really Ahab. So let us look at what scripture has to say about Ahab. This is found in First Kings chapter 21, 21 and verse 20. So, this is, uh, sorry. So Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you. Because you have sold yourself to do in the sight of God. Now you will say, how am I sold? Did I sell myself to do evil? Look at what the Bible says about us. Okay, let us... Ahab is the worst case scenario. Who is the best case scenario? I mean, in men, if you read the entire Bible after Jesus Christ. Paul, okay? So, best case scenario and the worst case scenario. Look at what the best case scenario will tell us. His own testimony about himself. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual... I am of the flesh, sold under sin. You got that? Ahab was sold himself to do evil. Paul is saying, I am of the same flesh, sold to do evil. As I said, I love my smell. And then he says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not know what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. The inability to change. Okay. Another thing about Ahab. Look at this. Look at how Ahab has become this way. This is again 1 Kings chapter 21 verses 25, 25 to 26. But there was no one like Ahab. My worst case. Okay. Who's sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because his wife Jezebel stirred him up. That means there was one madam behind him. This fellow has sold himself and she was saying, enjoy Jemamanu. Nothing will happen. That is Jezebel. That is a doctrine which says enjoy. No problem. No consequences. This fellow is sold and there is one person who is empowering you to enjoy in your sin. So you can you have a worse case scenario than this? Is a question. So if God can visit him, you know, sometimes I really, really, you know, after having come to to preaching ministry, one of the things constantly I said, Lord, me, Lord, Lord, you know, all my sin, nothing is hidden. Justin and I, sometimes we discuss about our quote-unquote good old days. And he said, kya to bita, Worst case scenarios. And he behaved very abominably in in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord has cast out before the children of Israel. Worst case scenario. First Kings chapter 20. Let's move on now. Now this Ahab. God is coming to this Ahab. Thus says Ben-Hadad, your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. Then the king of Ahab answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. This one has no strength. No strength to resist any attack in his flesh or any attack from the devil. No strength at all. Compromise, 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 compromise. Come to the point, his life is full of compromise. Where will you have the strength to resist? 
drink after drink, drink after drink, or pornography out of the pornography, watched and watched and your mind is saturated, you have become completely entangled in your sin. Worst case scenario. Just as you say, my Lord. That is not humility. So that is the reason why, you know, we warn. When you're young, especially young people, young people, bear the yoke when you are young. It's very good in uh, uh, Lamentation 3.27. You don't have to turn there. You know that verse. In the New Living Translation, it says, it is good for a man to bear the yoke of discipline when he is young. To bear the yoke of discipline when he is young. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 5. Lest you give your honor to others and your ears to the cruel one. You know, many, 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 many believers, honestly speaking, you know, they have lost tremendous potential in their lives. They have lost their track and they have wasted their years because they couldn't come out of their sin. Wasted years. Wasted potential. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. Be warned. See, God may reach you in your worst case scenario, but you will still have to bear the consequences. You know what? Many people, they only mourn because they have to face the consequences of their sin. They want to come to church and pastor has to give them three steps. Step number one, step number two, step number three. These are three medicines. Please follow this. In one week's time, your disease will go. Follow this algorithm. It is not going to happen like that. No. It is not going to happen. This is not the way God works. Your solution, the, the, God is more interested in our character than in our deliverance most of the time. See? The, the consequences have to, you have to bear the consequences of your sin. Then let's move on. Let's come back to 1 Kings chapter 20. Look at the way this guy responds. So he says, okay, everything is yours. Verse 6. That guy says, uh, but I will send my servants to you tomorrow. That is Ben Hadad says. About this time. And they shall search your house and the houses of your servants. And it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put it in their hands and take it. You see, you give an inch, not a mile, square kilometer. You give a foothold to the devil and before you know, you are out and the camel is in. And suddenly you will say, how am I outside? It has happened to many people. Many people. I know my own life. My own life. My close friends who got, who were born again along with me. Who had the experience of repentance along with me. At least, if not born again, or experience of repentance, born again meaning the, the experience of baptism they may not have had, but they ha- did have repentance, at least. You know what happened? I know one, one girl, extremely talented, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant girl. Brilliant. I mean, I look and I, and I just go back into my ears and she was a part of our school, uh, of, our, of our Sunday school, part of our youth fellowship, etc. That girl was really, really devout at that time, at least. You know what has happened today? Little compromise, little compromise. Now she is fighting for LGBT rights. And is absolutely shameless about it. Absolutely. 
I'm looking at them and I'm saying, what? What's going on? What's going on? My own friends messed up marriages. I looked, I used to look up to them when I was a kid. Arey, I should be like this brother. Compromise after compromise after compromise and you know what? God is out. They've come to a point, there is no reconciliation possible anymore. It's become so hard. So that is the reason why you give, you negotiate at one instant. I'm telling you honestly, you do, do, if you do not deal with your sin the very first time, it is going to be difficult to say no the second time. Impossible in fact, some, sometimes. Impossible. You don't have to taste cyanide to how, to know how cyanide tastes like. You'll die. Foolishness. Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Nor give place to the devil. You see that? Look at this shameless king. You know what he says? So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Notice please and see how this man seeks trouble. For he sent to me for my wives and my children, my silver and my gold. And I did not deny him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. This is not Ahab who is changing. This guy who, you know, this guy has got what we call as a self-pity. This guy who has gone on a self-pity, pity party. Ayo, look at me, look at me, look at me, ayo. Look at me, look at my life, look at me, look at me, look at my marriage, look at my... Self-pity. Look at what has happened to me, look at what has happened to me, look at look at what my parents did to me, look at what my brothers did to me. Self-pity. No change. Therefore he sent messengers. Look at the way he responds. Therefore he said, he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadar, tell my lord the king, all that you sent for, for, for to your servant, for to your servant, the first time I will do. But this thing I cannot do. What? Excuse me? What did he ask the first time? The silver, your silver, your gold, your wives and your children. And now he comes and says, everything that is pleasant to your eyes, I will also take. And he says, you can take my silver, my gold, my wives, my wives and my children, but don't touch my pleasure. What is more precious than your wife? What is more precious than your children? What is more? What is more precious? Unbelievable. You know, sometimes some parents come to our school. What they want to do is they don't want to do their hard work. Your school is a black box. We send our people in, kids in, we pay the fees. Black box, children in two inputs in a black box. You know what a black box is, black box is right? We have two inputs, money, children. What should come out? Godly children. What will you do? Please, we have other pleasures. Don't touch them. So in other words, you don't want to do the hard work of bringing up your children. No, 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 no. no. We have other pleasures. Other pleasures have taken hold of our life. Other pleasures. 
This is exactly what has happened. You know what? Many men have become slaves to their pleasures. And you know who pays the price? The children and their wives. They don't have a heart for the next generation. There's no heart for the next generation. It's very sad. You know, because if you want to really, really mentor the next generation, boss, you need to pay a huge price. And it's not easy though. I remember the first time when we had Abigail, my wife said, I'm going to quit my job and my heart sank. Because I wanted to send my children somewhere because I wanted to have the pleasure of money, of two salaries. But if your children are your priority, everything else will change in your life. I remember my parents, you know, I mean, at least those days, you know what my parents said? We don't want to take any promotion because your education will get spoiled. Where are the people like that now? They want children easy. Godly children easy. I mean, you to have children is very easy. <laughs> to have godly children? No guarantee. Even if you are a godly parent. No guarantee. So you can apply the same logic. If you being a godly parent cannot guarantee the salvation of your children, what if you have sold yourself for pleasures? What, ca- what guarantee can you give about your children? Or do you even care? Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 19. So Lot went out to them. This is when the, the angels come. Through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, Please my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now I have two daughters. My goodness, take my two daughters. Leave them alone. Leave the next. This is, this is unbelievable. You see, you need to understand how parents look at their children now. They don't want to give up their pleasures. They want to have money. They want to have all the pleasures and they also want to have godly children. Impossible. On the other hand, they'll say, okay, fine. If it comes to sacrificing my pleasures, let my children pay the price. Let my family pay the price. And no wonder we have broken families. Yesterday, is Mark here? Okay, Mark is not here. Yesterday, Mark and I were talking, you know, and we were talking about how expensive C-sections and every other thing has become. Okay, every other thing has become very expensive, you know, to have a baby, boss. 75,000, no, it's continental. They'll continentally give you the bill. They will put the bill in euros. I think in Karim Nagar, apparently now all the all the all the people are going to the government hospitals because the government is giving twelve thousand rupees back if you have a boy and thirty thousand rupees back if you are having a girl. So they have abandoned the private hospitals and everybody is now going to government hospitals to have their baby. It's a very good smart thing to do if you want to have children now. Immigrate to Karim Nagar or at least go on a on a medical visa tourism. You see. And you know what Mark was saying? He said, he made a very interesting point. He said, you know, pastor, you know why? There's an agenda so that you will not have children. You will think twice before you'll have children. He's a political science guy, you know, he's he's making sense. Children are gone. The next generation is gone. Look at what, Judges chapter 19. But the man, the master of the house, this is, you remember the Levite and the concubine? No, my brother, and I beg you, do not do, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter. And the man's concubine. Let me bring them out, humble them, and do with them as you please. 
Jesus, this is Ahab. Now the point here is this. God is going to reach out to this man. So Ben Hadad sends a threat. Threat. The gods do so to me and more, more also if any, any, if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who, who follow me. So the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not the one who puts his armor boast like the one who takes it off. I mean, this fellow is like, is showing off his Dutch courage, but he doesn't really have the strength. Unless, thank you, God intervenes. So what do you expect the next word to be? Okay, and when Ben Haddad heard this, get ready for war, what, ha- what is the next word? What is the ex- next word? What are you expecting? Suddenly, a prophet. Hallelujah. Now the whole, see this is the point. Suddenly a prophet approached who? Ahab. The king of Israel. Thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today. And you shall know, I am the Lord. So the prophet comes and will say that God will. Whom does he say to? Ahab. Why does he say that? So that you may know I am the Lord. So why does God bring deliverance into our life? Why does God bring a word into our life? So that we may know that. He is the Lord. That we acknowledge him as our Lord. And Ahab has a question. So Ahab said, by whom? And he said, thus says the Lord, by the young leaders of the provinces. Inexperienced fellows, in other words. Then he said, who will set the battle in order? And he answered, you. Can you imagine that? Guy who was compromised, sold, ready to sell his wife for his pleasure, doesn't care about the next generation, sold under sin. All the sins that Jeroboam committed, he also added to his sins by marrying Jezebel. To him, God says, I will make you the deliverer. That is the reason why we need to study scripture. What should Ahab have said? Me, Lord? Me? Me, Lord? Me? Did he choose me? You know what God is telling all of us? He is not choosing us because we are so righteous and so holy. No. He never chose us because of our moral standing and our righteousness. No. And he time and again proves in the scriptures that he comes to the worst case scenario to give deliverance to them. What a God we serve. How should he have responded? At least this is, to me, this is how he should have responded. Genesis chapter 32 verse 10. Who says this? I am not worthy of the least of the mercies and of all the truth. Who said this? Jacob. He should have said that. Did he say that? Look at the best case scenario. Look at what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. Putting me to the ministry, he counted who? Me, 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 faithful. Me, who was a former 
a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent, violent man, me, you, Ahab, a compromiser, I've chosen. But I obtained mercy. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and, Christ, and faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. You see, you see Ahab, no, Ahab should have responded this way. Not me, Lord? Me? But do you see that response? No. No, 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 no. You see, one end he says, oh, you look at me. What are the, what this fellow is saying? Poor me. And we think, oh, Ahab is so humble. No. No one immediately when God comes and says, you? God must have seen something really good in me. Otherwise, why would he come? You know, there are two extremes. What we call as superiority complex, inferiority complex. Superiority complex, tope. J.E., first rank. Mera hawa kya hai malum hai? All India rank. Air. That's what they rag in, uh, during their, during the ragging, no? Tera hawa kya hai re? So that is hawa. That is the hawa batch. Superiority complex. Inferiority complex? Oh, you, nothing, nothing, me, nothing, right? nothing, nothing, chi, chi, chi. Very, very bad. You th- they think they're very humble. You know, that is the reason why C.S. Lewis put, put it very beautifully. He said, humility is not thinking great about yourself, nor even thinking less about yourself. It is thinking about yourself less. You see, that is what I call 340s formula. What is that? Do you want to know what is a 340 formula? 340s, meaning 340s. 340s, not 3 times 40. It is 340. It is 3 times 40. 340 formulas. I want to apply this 340 formula in one person. Acts chapter 7. Now when he was 40 years old, who is this man? Moses. Okay. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. He came into his heart. He thought that now he is ready to deliver. And he came and said, I am something. That is first 40. Very good. Now, mighty in word, full of the, of the Egyptian wisdom, mighty in word, mighty in deed. I have conquered so many armies. Come on. Give me a problem to solve, boss. I like challenges. Aha. Uh-huh. God does something very interesting in his life. That is what we call a second 40. Second 40, when 40 years passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the bush in the wilderness of Sinai. What is that second 40? I am nothing. Are you Moses? You are something. No, 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 Lord. Nothing. What is? Superiority to? Still proud. Nothing. I can't speak. God is upset and angry. Who made dumb? Who made? Did not I? I called you. No, 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 no. Said somebody. I am nothing. Then we have the Last 40. What is the third 40 complex? Third 40. He brought them out after he shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness. 40 years. That's the last 40. First 40, second 40, last 40. Now what is the last 40? I am something to I am nothing to God is everything. Three forties. Okay? That is how, you know, Stephen divides the life of Moses and that's exactly how we have to divide our lives also. When we, God calls us, 
Pastor Vijay, please read worship. Are God must have seen something in me. Are sure, Pastor, I'm the man. You know my talent? Chupista. Oh, Vijay, next time you will go and preach from the pulpit. Oh, man. God, God must have seen something. You know, I, I tell you something. One of, the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that I've realized over a period of time, I've seen many authentic men of God. I'm talking about authentic men of God. I listen to them these days. You know, I thought uh, you don't have authentic preachers in Telugu. Okay. I had this, uh, pastor calls it, no? The colonial hangover. I only used to listen to English sermons. Okay. Now I started to listen to my own people and people in my own language, in that old language and I listen to their sermons and I see the anointing of God over their lives. Powerful men of God. One of them is an ex-RSS guy. His name is P.S. Swami. I don't know if you've heard of him. Powerful testimony. You know what? I've seen all their testimonies. One of the common thing in all their testimonies, God had to break them and humble them before they could use them. And most of the time, you know what humble, humility, how, how, how he used to work, humility into their lives, bring them to lack. Strip them off all their privileges and make them hungry. So that they have to fight for their daily food. I've seen that time and time and again. I said, Lord, what are you teaching me in this? You know what God was teaching me? The first time when I was, you know, pastor announced that, you know, not announced, he just hinted that, Vijay, you, you should be prepared. The next day he called me to his office. That was way back in Medipatam. I don't know if he remembers that. We had a men's meeting those days. Okay, we had our first men's meeting and he called me to the office and he looked at me and he said, Vijay, you ready? I said, what do you mean, pastor? Ready? Yeah, ready. Now, first thing he said, Vijay, fast. Pray. Seek the face of God. I'll never forget that. I told, I tell pastor, no, 11 years of what you taught have been ingrained in my mind. Fast. Pray. Seek the face of God. I'm like, what is the, what do you, what do you mean by fasting? You know? And you know something? The best way to humble yourself is by fasting. Making it a lifestyle. You know what? You have to go through those experiences. Sometimes you may not have the privilege of being disciplined for 40 years. You may not have that time. So the best way to do it is what? Humble yourself. There's two ways of humbling yourself. Either God humbles you or you humble yourself, which is easy. Logical, no? The best way to humble yourself, fast. Make it a lifestyle. And you will see how God will open your ears. You will stop bursting and you will say, Lord, me? Lord, me? It is a miracle. I don't know. It's just a miracle. It happens. Lord, me? It's, it happens. You will stop boasting about yourself. One of the things God will show you when you humble yourself through fasting and prayer, He shows you the wretchedness of your own flesh. And He shows you the stink in your own lives and how you love your stink. That is what is what, what we call as 340 formula. So the first thing God will strip us off is our boasting. Jeremiah chapter 9. We know that right? Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. That is the reason why 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If any man, chapter 3. If any man thinks that he is wise in the ways of this world, what should he become? Fool, so that he may be made wise. 
Wisdom does not come automatically. You have to be made wise. And it happens through humility. So let's come back to Ahab. Did he humble himself? You? Me? You? We don't see any response from there. Then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them. And each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled and pursued them. And Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with with the cavalry. The king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. Now, one of the things you need to understand, if you have a miracle in your life without a change of your heart, you know what it will do? It will confirm you in your sin. See, the worst thing for a man who is sinning to happen to him is success. If you get successful in your sin, boss, I don't know if it is judgment or if it is mercy. I don't know. Hopefully, when you are becoming successful in spite of your sin, you come to your conscience, your 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 your, uh, your senses, and like like Peter, and say, "Lord, depart from me! I am a sinful man." That's the height of his success. He never had a catch like that, and he looked at Jesus and he fell on his face and he said, "Lord, depart from me! I am a sinful man." Can success make us that make us like that? Where we fall on our face before God, when we see our success and say, Lord, I did not deserve this. It was your mercy, it was your goodness. Lord, Lord, change my heart. That is repentance. Goodness of God should lead you to repentance. But you know what is happening over here? Success, a great slaughter. Deuteronomy chapter 32. For there are a, for they are a nation wide of counsel. There is no understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise. That they understood this. That they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? You see that? What should have happened? See, that is the reason why in the gospel according to John, every miracle is a sign. Every miracle is a sign. Where should it lead you to? It should lead you to Jesus. Every success is a sign. Lord, I do not deserve this. I was not worthy of your, of any of your least of your mercies. But you showed in my, showed in my life. And you know what has happened? Over a period of time, you look into Christendom and you look at many believers' life. It is a life God has not given me anything. It's a life of entitlement mentality. They never count their blessings. They don't see that the blessings that they have already. They are absolutely not content. You know what? Contentment leads you to praise. If you are not content, you know what? You grumble. That's exactly what happened to Israel. Grumble, 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 grumble. Murmur, 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 complain, complain, complain. This is not right. That is not right. This is not right. This is not right. Every time you see, you speak and magnify your problem rather than magnifying God. Success. Did he acknowledge God? Did he come and say, you know what? Lord, you gave me success. No. He was supposed to lead you to repentance. Did it lead you to repentance? Did it lead you to faith? No. For they are a nation. Okay, sorry. Let's move on. First Kings chapter 20. Let's go back. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go, strengthen yourself. How do you strengthen yourself? 
by getting to know God. You are my rock. You are my fortress. I want to know you, Lord. It is not by your numbers. It is not by your strength. It is not by the talents that you have, the giftings that you have. No. You want strength? You want strength? Simple. Simple, simple way to gain strength in your life. Have a relationship with God. Now today, I was praying with pastor. Now what he said? Lord, we love you. Simple prayer. I, said, I just thought about that. I said, Lord, such a simple but powerful. Who says I love you? A man who has a relationship with you. I love you. When was the last time you said, Lord, I love you? Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Love you. Go strengthen yourself. Take note and see what you should do. You see that? Very specific. Strengthen yourself. Take note and see what you should do. What should you do? Messed up your life. Now go back and strengthen your relationship back with the Lord. Go back to God. Repent of your sins and put your trust in the Lord. Have faith in God. Get rid of your unbelief. Get rid of your idolatry. Separate from your from all the sins that you've been committing. Get rid of all the mess in your life and strengthen yourself. Why? For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up. You know, sometimes, you know what God will do? He will give you a great deliverance. But after the deliverance, he gives you some time to grow. Before he text, sends you the next test. You understand what I'm saying? There's always a time, what we call as Rehoboth. Rehoboth, there's a lot of room. There was conflict, there was conflict, there was conflict, and then there is Rehoboth. That's exactly what God does in every believer's life. There'll be conflict, there'll be conflict, then there'll be a time of rest. And in that rest, you have to be very careful. One man of God said very interesting, something very interesting. He said, I think it was A.W. Tozer. He said, he said, a believer has to be very careful before a test. And he should always be careful after he passes the test. Most vulnerable moments in his life. Before the test and after the test. Before the test, there will be tremendous temptation to give in. Because you will see pressure from all directions. And Lord, should I put my trust in you? And after the test, after you won the test, oh, now I can chillax. That is the reason why it says in First Proverbs chapter 1, it says, the complacency of the fools will destroy them. It's actually the prosperity, other translations will use the word, the prosperity of the fools will destroy them. Don't become complacent. Don't become, when you become prosperous and you become successful, don't become complacent. One of the things that we need to realize, God, give me a sense of you always, always. Success or failure. Because he's going to come back. Remember? After Jesus was tested by the devil, it, the Satan left him for an opportune time. He's going to come back. Do you think he's going to let his guard down? No. He's going to become even more careful. Because it is a time of, te- of prosperity when David fell. Is it a time of prosperity when David fell? After success. After reaching the height. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, their gods are gods of the hills. What a fool. no? Therefore, they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. In other words, get more experienced fellows. This is how the world fights. Why did, you, why did your company not prosper? last financial year, because our CEOs were dum-dums. 
get rid of all the top brass, get somebody more qualified and more experienced. Have you seen? Every time a company is taken over by another company, who, who goes? All the top fellows go. Why do companies get sold out? Because they are not doing well. So once another company comes and says, dismiss all these fellows, get more qualified, who will work for less salary. More experienced. You know, I remember my co-brother, he, his company was taken over by another company for $20 billion cash. Just like that, okay? $20 billion cash. That is budget of Andhra and Telangana together. Actually, more than that. $20 billion cash. You know what the, what the, what the boss said? I'll give you the best in the market. Deliver. I've taken the best in the market. I will give you the best in the market. Deliver. That is how they look at success. To get the best. That is worldly strategy. Not that you should be slack. No. That is not what he's talking about. But don't rely on that. That is what he's talking about. Let's move on. And you shall muster an army like the army you had lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, chariot. then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will, be, we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. So it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions and they went against him. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats. Okay, Two little flocks of goats while the Syrians filled the countryside. Now, this is another miracle in the life of Ahab. Look at what happens. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel. Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is a God of hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that, what? I am the Lord. Please. What does it mean? God is not interested in your name. He is zealous for his name. That is the reason why he is leading us to repentance. He chooses the foolish of the world. He uses the base of the world. He uses all those characters in the why. Why he uses so that no man will boast and all glory goes to him. Everybody will be jealous for his name and not their name. And look at what it says in Ezekiel chapter 32. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations, wherever they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations, wherever you went. See that? God is not doing miracles in our lives for our good. He is doing it for his name. Let's move on. Let's see what's going on over here. What do we, what do we, what, what do we learn from here? 1 Kings chapter 20. Then his servant said to him, look now, we have heard the king of, king the house of, so this is, you, you remember the story, the story is that they get defeated and uh, Ben-Hadad flees for his life and he's hiding in a chamber. Okay, he's hiding in a chamber. So I'm jumping, I'm not looking at that part, I'm looking at another lesson, verse 31. Then his servants, that is servants of Ben-Hadad, look now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth around our waists and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare 
your life. Got that? What we, what do we do? Yes, he's going to kill me. What I'm going to do is, Ben Hazard says, I will go put sackcloth on my head, ropes around my, uh, sackcloth on my body, ropes around my neck. What is ropes around my neck? Meaning, I'm, I deserve to be hung, but please have mercy. And he comes to Ahab. Look at what Ahab says. And he said, who said, Ahab, is he still alive? He's my brother. Now the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would be would come from him and they quickly grasped at his hand and he said, your brother Benadar. So he said, go bring him. Then Benadar came out to him and he had come up into his chariot. What it tells me is this. This guy should have strengthened himself, should have repented, and should have should have had faith in God, and should have had not no reconciliation with the flesh, no reconciliation with the enemy. Deal it with an iron fist. Let's move on. I'll just uh, look at the story and we'll look at some lessons. And Ahab said, "I will send you away with this treaty." So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. Sad. What it tells me is this. One lesson Ahab did not learn from this. In spite of all the mercy and all the grace that God showered in his life. Grace and mercy is given in your life so that you will fight the flesh and fight the devil. That you will not negotiate with the flesh, but you will be violent with the flesh. No negotiations whatsoever, wherever. You will not. In other words, you deal with your sin with an iron fist. Takes a lot of learning. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. 11, 12, easy to remember. Okay? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What does it mean? Don't pet your sin. Deal with it. Don't negotiate with the enemy. Be violent. Now, one of the things that many people do, no? I've come to realize. In the ministry, in one and a half years or two years in the church, one of the things that I realized is this. I cannot afford to fall ill. I can't. Just can't. And whenever I have sickness coming into my body, the thing that I do is, okay, today I'll just take it easy, I'll sleep off and, and you know, I'll rest and let me just get a rest and tomorrow I'll be rejuvenated. You know, the first thing God taught me is that don't negotiate with sickness. Get up. Unless you are like not able to. The worst case scenario then, I have seen that every time I was having a headache, you, my wife is my witness, you know, a tremendous headache, pounding headache, many times in two years, pounding headache. She would say, Vijay, this is because of your whatever, whatever habits, she would say. But I would say, you know what, I reject this. I reject this and you would not believe it. I pray and I fight it within four or five hours, it's gone. 
Gone. Experienced that in my own life. I remember once, my own testimony, because I have to prove this in my own, 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 in my own life, right? We had pastor's conference. Pastor's conference is actually a stressful day. If it's stressful for me, you can imagine how stressful it is for a pastor who preaches for six hours, four hours. The whole day we are like full minders, totally, totally occupied. And the next day I was supposed to preach. Really, really tired in my body. Exhausted to the core, okay? Um, because the previous night was doing some night out or whatever it is. And exhausted. Next, next day I was supposed to preach. And that evening after I finished my pastor's conference, you're going back home. I drop pastor and I get a call from the collector's department, collector's office. Your paper is ready. Please come and collect. Your paper is ready. Please come and collect. This is Saturday night. I have to go all the way to the collector's office and collect the paper. Because if I don't collect the paper that day, finish, gone. It's going to take another donkey's years for it to come. So pastor said, go. I'm like, oh my God, next day I have to preach. You wouldn't believe it. Pounding headache, okay. Driving, I drove all the way to the collector's office. Pounding headache. Waited for another two hours. Lord, I'm like, Lord, tomorrow I'm supposed to preach, Lord. Lord, I don't know what, what is going, what is going to happen tomorrow. And I come back. I said, I'm not going to give up. And usually how I prepare for the next day is this. I don't sleep the night. Sunday morning, no sleep. The previous night. That is how I prepare. And my head was pounding like crazy, okay. I just come back home and I said, Lord, two hours of sleep. And I believe the headache will go. I'll feel refreshed. I go to the bed, two hours, I get up absolutely fresh. And adrenaline pumping for the next six or eight hours. You know what happens? I've seen in in our home, you know, you know, especially in our in our school, no? Today I'm not well, I'm not coming to school. And just in that I look at each other. Can we ever afford to fall ill? Can we ever afford to fall ill? If we fall ill, who will be there in the church, in the school? When you come to the ministry, you will know. Can you imagine? Can pastor ever, ever afford to fall ill? And I know multiple times when he has preached with a pounding headache. And I see little headache. Oh, I can't go to office today. I'm like, what? Oh, I have a cold. Cold? If you take a tablet, it'll take seven days. Or it'll take a week. Pun intended. You didn't get it. Take a tablet. Because we, we don't have the resolution to fight. We pamper our flesh. We like that. Little thing we want to go to the doctor. I mean, I do it for my children, but not for me. Not for me. And you know what? I, this is the resolution that I took for myself. I said, Lord, whatever it is, I'm not going to have a punch. Period. Never come into my life that, that day where because of a punch, this and that, all stupid things, you're not being used by God. I deal with, deal with it with an iron fist. Violent. Don't make excuses for your flesh. You know? See? Because it's so, 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 so complacent. And you like, try to 
pamper and people have to come and say, yo, you're having a headache. Sister Elsa will send you soup. I mean, I, that, I take that as an insult. What? Don't make the mistake of Saul pampering your flesh. Cut off Agag from your life. You know, the pastors got it finally. Oh, every time, no, pastors call me. Brother, uh, which verse is this? As if I'm an encyclopedia, but thank God I remember some verses. I said, okay, yeah, this verse, this verse. Okay, thank you, brother. The other day, another pastor called me. He said, brother, pastor was talking about that Ega guy, right? Where is it? Ah, finally, you got the message. Okay, thank you. He's in Esther. Oh, no, no. Also in the book of Esther, somewhere in Samuel, I, I heard. Yeah, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Oh, thank you, brother. You got it. All the pastors are getting it now. Because they all pamper their flesh and sleep when they come to pastor's conference. Sleeping shepherds. Can you imagine if a shepherd is sleeping, what will happen to the congregation? And then I look at it. I say, Lord, I'm not judging them. I'm judging myself. I can be like that. So, 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 Sunitam. You're Sundari. Sukumari. What is your name? Sukumar. Pluck out your eye. Cut off your hand. Don't make negotiations with the flesh. That is what we call as radical repentance. Otherwise it's not going to work. See that, that's what we heard, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence, what clearing of yourself, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what indication. Look at those adjectives. You have that? Or we completely negotiated with the flesh and said, okay, I can, I will never change. You will say, keep on talking about your problems and that's exactly what will happen. You will become a problem one day. Keep on talking, talking about your problem. One day you'll become a big problem. Magnifying your problems. Because you know why? You love your smell. You like those socks. First Corinthians, First Kings chapter 20. Now a certain man, look at this. I'm going to end another 10 minutes. Please give me 10 minutes, okay? I'll be done here. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor. Now the prophets have to give him a lesson, right? Look at how relentless God is. In spite of the way this fellow messed up, God still wants to give him a chance. Three times. How many times did God, sorry, Moses ask God that he would enter into the promised land? Three times. How many times did Jesus say, take this cup away from me? Three times. How many, how many times did Paul say, take away this thorn from me? Three times. How many times did God visit Ahab? Three times. After this, no turning back. Your life is set. Not that you will not have any opportunity. Now you will not have, you don't have the ability to change anymore. Because you have set in your character. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophet said to the neighbor, this is a prophet, so he has to teach him a lesson. So, who will be the neighbor of a prophet? Tell me. Another prophet. Thank you. 
Dr. Richard, you're a brilliant man. Thank you. This is really, really, this is very responsive. Okay, he knows his word. Okay, now a certain man of the sons of the prophet said to his neighbor, by the word of the Lord, strike me please. Oh, the man refused. Hurry, how can I strike the prophet? You Parable. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion should come and kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. What? What? What are you telling Lord? You know what the Lord is trying to tell us? The same lesson for Ahab, who is a very senior believer, sorry, very junior believer, and in fact not a believer, the same lesson for him is also for one of the most senior believers. Everybody should not negotiate with the flesh. When God says strike, it doesn't matter how good it looks. It might look like a prophet. Might look like the sound like the voice of God. That is the reason why you know what Paul says. If any man preaches any other gospel, even if an angel from heaven comes and says any other gospel, let him be accursed. Deal with that voice. Cut off that voice from your life. And what this fellow says? No, 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 no. How can I judge the man of God? I should not judge his doctrine. I should not say anything to him. You know why? Otherwise God will strike me. Who said that? Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall come and kill you. What happens? The lion will come and kill him. What does 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1 will say? Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about a like a roaring lion. In other words, now everybody has to be ruthless with their flesh. No, no negotiations. Resist him steadfast in faith. Look at this. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? No, prophet, you didn't obey. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and, and the sinner? What is going to happen to you? You didn't obey. God is going to do the same thing to you. He's dead. And he follows another man. Who's the other man? Another prophet. He said, strike me please. He got the lesson. Strike. Good, thank you. That is how you should be. Violent. You should wound. Wound. Make it important. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out in the midst of the battle and there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life or else you shall pay a talent of silver. What is a talent of silver? It's a price of redemption. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Ah, now you know. Very smart. Not that you didn't know. See, if you didn't know and you did it, there's an excuse. You know how to deal with your flesh, but you still excuse it. Sorry. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes and the king recognized. 
I was one of the prophets. Then he said to him, you know, this happens in many, many meetings. The preacher preaches. He doesn't know somebody in the congregation is listening and this was for that person only. Only. For that person only. In English. In, in, in Indian English. And after the service ha- is over, he comes and says, how come you speak only to me? That's exactly what happened to him. Suddenly he opened and says, Hurry, this was for me? How does, how come he knows? And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let him slip out of your hand, a man who was appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. What should have happened to Ahab? You should have put sackcloth on his ashes, and should have repented. But what does he do? So the king of Israel went home to Samaria angry and sullen. I look at it and I say, Lord, what happened to this guy? Isaiah chapter 26. When your judgments come upon the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn. Though grace is shown to the wicked, to the wicked man, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of righteousness, he acts unjustly and fails to see the majesty of the Lord. What has happened? God Did God show grace to Ahab, the worst case scenario? Yes. What happened? How did he respond? Anger. Jonah chapter 2 verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. They're gone. Therefore, you know what Paul wants us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. The question therefore, I want to leave with you, with the title of today's message. Have you received the grace of God in vain? Has it led you to repentance? Has it it led you to more faith? Have you negotiated with the flesh? Have you seen the mercy and the blessing of God in your life? And you have become more discontent? Are you negotiating and becoming very, very sukumaram with your with your pet sins? Do you love it? Or do you hate it? We are not here to condemn. If you hate your sin, you have hope. But if you love your sin, sorry. You receive the grace of God in vain. Let the grace of God lead us to repentance and faith. Shall we close our eyes and let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you, we worship you, Father. Father, we learned so many things that we have already learned in our church. But you reminded us of so many things in in the life of a man who was the worst case scenario, but in your mercy, you visited him time and time again. But enable us not to become angry and sullen. Lord, enable us never to excuse our flesh. Lord, enable us to fight our flesh every day of our life. Whenever it springs its ugly face up, grant us the grace to smell it 
and to hate it. Let, let repentance and faith become radical in our lives. Thank you, Father. Commit all of us into your hands. Continue to speak to us through this week, through the rest of this work week. We praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, Amen.